Avalon pushed the 48K Speccy harder than almost any other game in 1984. We go deep into its history and gameplay on this magical edition of Our Sinclair. Hi everybody, welcome to Ars Sinclair. I'm John. And I'm Aaron. And today, Aaron, we're talking about Avalon. Oh yeah, Frankie Avalon. I love that guy. Would you would you consider yourself a fan of the King Arthur mythos? I would say yes. I would consider myself a think, fan. What do you think makes it so uh long standing? I mean, people have been talking about King Arthur forever. Knights are cool. Yeah. Number one. There's magic, mm -hmm. right? You've got Merlin, the Lady in the Lake, the whole nine yards. Plus it's a tale of uh, chivalry and honor, people that break that honor, uh, people turn heel, people turn face. It's a dream kingdom that that can crumble. It's an interesting tale. All the Arthurian tales, plus all the crap that's just based on the Arthurian tales that really aren't based in anything. It's all quite neat. I've always enjoyed that stuff. You know, you ever hear of the great courses? Those sorts of, back in the day, they were on CDs. Now you can get them streaming or whatever. Yeah. I listened to one of those on Arthurian legends and history and stuff mm -hmm. like that. And it's amazing. All of the, I mean, it's like the first cinematic universe. Yeah. Because like you said, you've got the core story, but then you've got all of these offshoots that, you know, sprung forth from it. Super fascinating. And um, the, the big takeaway that I learned from that, which I never knew, was that the original Arthurian story is set much earlier than it's commonly portrayed. Because when you think about knights and shining armor and castles and stuff, that's all like 1100s and 1200s, but the first Arthurian tale was from like four or 500. Oh, really? Early, that early, early on, yeah. Now, out of 10 West Virginians, how many believe that this is actual factual history? I'd say 10. <laughs> But we live here, but no, we don't get it. We Listen, know. I, I'm not completely sold that it's not. Fair enough. The king will rise again. Uh, so, let's talk about Avalon. Man, man, Avalon, he's, that tune starts off great and just falls apart. It's like he's killing a cat with a fiddle. It's like when you run out of air on a bagpipe. That's what it seems <laughs> That's like. That's exactly it. <laughs> By the way, the, the the lead character that I looks like me and my sleeping tunic. <laughs> it's dead on. That's it's exactly the way I am. You need a cap. You don't have a sleeping cap, do you? It comes with a hat. Nightcap. It's got a built-in hood. Yeah, yeah. So, Avalon, do you know what Avalon is? Avalon, what is it, Boat? Avalon, it comes from the Welsh word meaning the Isle of Apple Trees. Oh. Okay. Uh, this is the island uh, where uh, King Arthur's uh, King Arthur's sword Excalibur was made, and later where Arthur was taken to recover from being gravely wounded at the Battle of Camland. So this is sort of like uh, the Undying Lands to the West in Lord of the Rings, mm. where you go. It's a mythical place where you go to find solace. Uh, so. Uh, it was first featured in Geoffrey of Monmouth's uh, story, uh, uh, History of Britain. So uh, maybe he thought it. Maybe he thought it was real too. Man, this is a deep dive. You weren't joking in an opening. You said, "Yeah, yeah." Listen, I love Arthurian crap. So <laughs> that's why you pay so much homage. The old Arthurian crap. That's the title <laughs> of your next deep dive book, and that Arthurian crap with boat. Now, 
this game, Aaron, the this the full title, not just Avalon, the Legend of Avalon: colon, The Three D Adventure Movie. Yeah, man. Okay, that's a that is a. Uh... That's a title. So in the advertising, this game, they sell this game like I've never heard a game sold before. A lot of hype. Okay. It says Avalon, the all action, the all action, keep that in mind, uh -huh. 3D arcade adventure movie. Avalon, with unique, stunning, moving graphics. Avalon, the breakthrough that brings adventure to life. And Avalon. The adventure game of the decade. Did you say the all-action 3D arcade adventure movie? Yes. Man, how much can you cram into one sentence? That's direct from Holy the moly. Right. <laughs> okay. So, this is really some of those words uh, apply to Avalon. Avalon, I would call I would call it an, a sort of adventure game with action elements. Uh, this was released by Houston Consultants in 1984. Uh, it's the, the first game in the series that also includes the sequel, Dragon Torque, which was released in 1985. Uh, Avalon is set in Britain in the year 408 All right. uh, during the collapse of the Western Roman Empire. Okay, The player controls Marok. Marok is a lore seeker who has been given a staff and a map by a strange old woman and pointed in the direction of a place called Glass Hill. On the Isle of Avalon. Okay? Yeah. And your goal is to defeat the Lord of Chaos. Oh, man. Okay. That guy again. This game's original purchase price, £7.95p. Is, is that the, that's the full that's that the was the full, full deal? The full, so I would call this a regularly priced game. You don't you don't release the action arcade classic <laughs> adventure of all time of for, for five or four nine, four pounds on that right. page. It's gotta be the full eight pounds. That's right, that's right. So who was behind this game? Uh, Avalon was written by Steve Turner, uh, and he programmed lots of other games for Houston. He did 3D Space Wars, Quasitron, Ranarama, and Magnetron. Uh, he later founded Graph Gold. We've yeah. done a lot of Graph we've Gold done, games. Yeah, we did a few of those too. So yeah, we've done more than a few. He founded that with Andrew Bay Braybrook. Oh boy, Braybrook, and uh, he worked on Uridium, Paradoid, and Mor Morpheus. Uh, and uh, Turner and ba Braybrook collaborated on several games for Graph Gold, such as Rainbow Islands, Fire and Ice, and Realms. Yeah. That stirring theme you heard at the beginning was composed by Nick Jones, who also did the soundtracks for Dragon Torque, Uridium, and Alley Cat. I think you also composed the thing that happens when my alarm clock goes off. <laughs> <laughs> You weren't a fan of that, were you? I mean, you? that starts off great. I know you're working on the specky here, but, man, it gets abrasive real quick. And the cover art was designed by Bob Wakelin, who also illustrated many other games, such as Exelon, R-Type, and Whizball. Mm. You can see that. Uh, that the that old Whizball. Yeah. Whizball, that's right. So, um, they, uh, there was a, a great interview that Steve Turner did where he talked about the influences for this game. He said he used to play... Uh, a D and D game called RuneQuest. Did yeah. you ever play RuneQuest? I'm familiar with RuneQuest. I think you've got one of the source books. In RuneQuest is a Chaosium game. Yeah. It's the uh, the from the makers of Call of Cthulhu. It uses that same percentile die system. He played that, and uh, for the technical aspect, uh, he take he took a look at uh, other Spectrum games that were available at the time, and he looked at a Tick Attack, 
And he said, boy, I love the way that you've got these clean, drawn walls that really give you a sense of perspective. Yeah. And uh, it taught him that you don't really need a lot of background graphics. You just need to have some lines to suggest the depth. Yeah. And so, uh, and he experimented with the, with the drawings that you see to make it kind of look like you're looking at a stage, like a theater stage. Along, you, you've got a, a, a sort of a... Um, so what I'm looking for a bezel that kind of frames the, the the play area, and then you have the stage area where your guy moves around in. Um, and uh, so he got the idea for the theme uh, from a specific book uh, called um, King Arthur's Avalon: The Story of Glastonbury, and this was by Jeffrey Ash. It was his take on the ancient British legends. And uh, so he was like, well, I could combine, you know, D&D type stuff with the legend of King Arthur and come out with, with something good here. Um, he said that uh, he tried as much, uh, he, he invented the story of Wizards of the Age having a battle with the Lord of the Dark Forces. Uh, and the player must revisit the scene of the battle as the evil Lord once more threatens the land. Uh, and he says that he took tons of stuff from the Jeffrey Ash book. Uh, the top of the staff that's discovered in the excavated hill. Uh, he, uses, he uses that as the, uh, the, the staff that Avalon's wizard Marok carries around. And Marok, the carry him, uh, character himself, was invented for his son, Mark. Uh, Mark used to attend the D&D sessions, even though he was only two or three. And they said, well, you're Marok, you know, and so he named the guy Marok after his son. So I like that. Uh, how did he create this character? Well, he molded the wizard in plasticine, you know, that putty stuff, and then drew the wizard from eight different perspectives. And those are the perspectives that he drew, you know, on with the pixel art. And that's how you get a fully rotatable wizard. Okay. Wow, that's a long way to go. Isn't yeah, it? yeah, yeah. And so, uh, and so, Aaron, I've talked a lot about the development of Avalon, a little bit of history. What did you think when you fired this thing up for the first time? Well. <laughs> You know, we've, of course, we've played more than a couple ZX games. It's funny that we played this uh, this week because I on ARG Presents last week, we just played a game uh, that came from Brazil. It's from the Spectrum. And it does a great job of giving you the feeling of depth with the limited graphical abilities and color schemes that the Spectrum offers. And this game doesn't use the, that technique, but it also does a good job with a different technique of giving you... Just like you mentioned in the in the lead up there, the feeling that there's depth, the feeling that it's a 3D environment that you're working in with the sparsest of graphics. It's a, a you know one thing that the Spectrum can do well is line graphics. I mean mm -hmm. the, that vector type stuff. Yeah. In fact, more better than most, mm -hmm. frankly, uh, because they're very clearly defined and they're you know they they does a good job. You can tell what you're seeing. Yeah, and those bright pastel colors set against a black background. You're right; it's very vectorized. Yeah, and and when you're playing a game like there's a uh, what this game does with the frame is very clever. Normally, we get on games for the framing. We hate the frame generally. However, this game, the gameplay isn't really it, the frame doesn't really touch the game field. And which in this case leads more to the feeling that there's depth in the scene, right? The frame is just there. It, it's almost like you're watching a stage a show, right? Uh, and it works. It works. Plus the framing at the bottom, it does give you pertinent information about what, that you need to know. So it's, they would have had to have put that somewhere. So this is one of the rare games that has a very, and plus it's a beautiful frame. Mm -hmm. uh, and it adds color to a blank 
can, can but it's effectively. And so it's very cleverly done. You got to give the fellow credit uh, for his use of the colors and the way he drew the scenes. They really work. And so the first thing I was struck, the first thing I was struck with is just how beautiful the game looks as sparse as it is to call it beautiful, but I do. And the fact that the wizard moves around quite smoothly. Uh, I read somewhere, I mean, of course, your wizard floats around. I'm sure yeah, you'll so, talk about that. Yeah, let's go ahead and talk about that now. So your wizard uh, doesn't walk around. He he floats around. And the reason why is because that's not the wizard at all. The wizard actually astrally projects himself into this world, which leads to some complications, as right. we'll talk about later. Word on the street is he's done. They rented him this week because the guy didn't want to have to do the legs. Not the worst idea. Yeah, it's not, and it works mm-hmm. because this wizard it looks cool. Yeah, he's in sort of the setted position, mm-hmm. and he's wizards do this stuff. Yeah. They're weird guys. Uh, I, the uh, the adding to the feeling of depth is the fact that you can go forwards and backwards on the scene. Uh, so there the is scene, depth. Yeah, and the scene scrolls with you when you right. move. And it, but the funny thing about it is, it there isn't really depth. That's the that's the illusion mm-hmm. of it. When you when it looks like you're moving towards the back of the room, you're not. It just the screen has scrolled down to give you the illusion. It's right. quite brilliant. Yes. So we've seen games that did things like this, but very few that have done it as nicely. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the on top of that, uh, the wizard uh, has uh, controls well. I thought, and can and as you go through different portals and doors. Uh, he moves through the door, you know. Now, granted, you can see him go come out the other side, sort of, because everything's transparent. But the illusion works. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, just right off the bat, I'm like, okay, this was done by a very skilled programmer who had a vision. Yeah, yeah. And so, this game controls differently than almost any other game uh, because you, you, in this game, everything is done through spells, including movement. So before you can move, you have to cast the move spell. Uh, this game is uh, entirely joystick driven. Uh, you got up, down, left, right, and fire. That's all you've got to work with. So you press the fire button to access your spell list. You press the fire button again to activate a spell. You activate the move spell, boom, you can start to move. What did you think about that? I didn't like that that much. Now, um we, as usual, you're hamstrung when you try to do something more advanced on a machine that didn't have the uh, control capabilities to have more than one button. Two buttons would have done this game up quite nicely. Uh, when you hit that fire button in this game and nothing happens, like on screen, that in the play area, it's a jarring. Mm-hmm. And, and you have to enter, and it was no, I never, to be honest, I never quite got used to using the spell book and the spells. I talked to you before the show. I was like, you know, I really struggled with this thing. Combating this, because you're going to, as you go room by room, searching, exploring, uh, you're going to come across warlords and fighters and and, and whatnot who are going to try to attack you. And you're not going to sit there and slug it out or hit them with your staff or that crap. You've got to use spells to defeat them, and you're not just going to crank spells up on the fly. Mm-hmm. In some ways, it's a lot like real D and D. Generally, you have to go and sort of prep for uh, to put a spell in. So you and and these guys are tenacious. They don't just see you and then just like, oh, there he goes. They come after you. They come room to room. Uh, I mean, they will follow you. You'll have a train of guys if you're not careful. Mm-hmm. But you, but often you need to take and step out and try to get some distance so you can try to get something cooking. To knock these guys out, it's um, it was difficult because of the tenacity of the guys. I didn't do very well. I would now. The good thing is you could sort of just run away from them, and often you can just move on. 
Which is usually well, what I did. you can, but this is one of the few games the guys will actually follow you from room right, to room. Right, right. I mentioned that, but my point is you can – don't still be coming, right. but you can just keep going. At least going. you can run. The at problem is run. when you get to the point where there's nowhere else to go. Right, right. And then you've got a horde of a whole horde of guys coming to kill you. This is a game that relies both on your dexterity with the joystick and your ability to think. This is not your typical move from room to room collect items adventure because – of that enemy component. Yeah. You've got to become very adept at moving through your spell list, selecting the right spell at the right time, because you do get a missile spell that you can use to kill enemies. You also get a freeze spell. You can get a spell that will turn you invisible, which you get pretty early on. You also get a servant spell. The servant spell is interesting because you actually trigger this little sprite that flies off, and the sprite can manipulate objects in the world, even though you can't. So the sprite can pick up a sword and go to town for you. It's sort of like an un, a, a better version of the Unseen Servant in, in Dungeons & Dragons, which is a spell you can cast. Mm-hmm. They can't really fight, but yeah. Yeah. So, there's this is a huge, huge game. Yeah. Uh, I looked at an overworld map of this that somebody had made, and I mean, it's just massive, the amount of rooms. There are over 200 rooms in this game, and they're kind of spaced out between regular dungeon-style rooms, and you've got these caves the caves are really interesting because the caves are almost like a little mini game that you play. Yeah, they're real neat. Where you're, it's like a bobsled where you're trying to avoid <laughs> spiders. It's neat because they're the caves rush to your sides, mm-hmm. and you're, you're uh, presumably you're shooting forward. Right. The, and that once again, the wizard at work, the depth perception, the, and the and the motion from just basically two sets of squiggly lines that are zooming past. It works. It works again. Uh, and I, I enjoyed those areas. Uh, it's funny, a game like this, uh, having 200 players doesn't surprise me because if you look at it, the, the amount of actual data on the screen is minimal. Mm-hmm. So you can see how they can really stretch this thing out. Now, this game has some really interesting concepts in terms of death. In this game, because you're an astral projection, you can't really die. Right. What happens when you die is you get a rank. And the rank can go anywhere from like total loser to ultimate champion, basically. Yeah. Um, and so, and when you die, you will respawn and you will keep all of the scrolls that you found. So it's actually great. Uh, this game encourages you to want to play more. Um, this game, there are 16 main ranks, each with eight stages. And so uh, you, you've got your energy bar is a, uh, it looks like a tongue of fire yeah. that's coming from a dragon's mouth. And as you get hit by enemies, that tongue decreases in size. Okay, so stuff I liked about this game. Yeah. Uh, the UI I thought was great. Uh, I know that it's, it's, it's different, but I appreciated having a game that, that could be driven with just the joystick Yeah, uh, because I like to lay back when I'm I mean, that's the trade-off. Yeah. That's the yeah. trade-off. You could have done this with the keyboard. It would have been easier, but if you want to use the joystick, you have to do it this way. You get into finding stuff <clears throat> right away. You're not searching forever for the very first item. You see this. You, you get a couple scrolls in the first couple rooms. So you yeah. act like you're making progress really quick. You get to keep stuff when you die. I love the fact that the spells make sense. They didn't try and make a meta game out of guessing what the spells do. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and you can experiment with the spells fairly easily. And you can see, okay, this is what this thing does. Um, things I don't like. I wish that the map made a little bit more sense. You know, they've got these corridors. I wish that the game was laid out where you might have like 10 rooms on a level and they're attached with corridors to the next 10 rooms up. So you could kind of spatially create a, a system for the way these rooms are laid out. That's not the way it is, but I wish it was like that. I love the corridor bobsled minigame, though. I thought that that was cool. 
Um, of course, the <laughs> opening music, as you said, is a is a is is a travesty. Um, so that on the whole, this is another one of these games that I think could have only been possible on the Spectrum. You know, like you just don't see stuff like this on other systems. I I would yeah again the, I'm not bad mouthing the interface. I just was not adept with it. Mm-hmm. I would love to have a game built like this, except you're not a wizard, you're a fighter. Mm-hmm. Where you can just go through and have a go at the bad guys. Hey, gauntlet it up. Uh, it would be neat to take this engine and actually apply uh, the ability to put doors and walls on the plane nearest to your face, so you could actually walk forward and go in the doors. Right. It'd be a graphical, cute maneuver, but you could probably pull it off, because the one thing about this, that its greatest attributes, also one of its weirdest flaws, is that you do feel like you're on a stage because there's no way for the there's no doorways or anything that actually come towards you. They're all mm. away or to the sides, and so it's it's very stagey because yeah. of that. Uh, the uh, um, I agree. The spells are pretty obvious. I mean, for the most part, I didn't have any trouble understanding what they did. Uh, there were there, of course, these areas are sparse. Uh, there's a lot of sameness into the in the rooms, you know. But there would be. Uh, they do have some decor laid out, a stool here, or a chair, or a skeleton, or something like that. Uh, but so they do try. We, we, you know, as we've seen in other games that you know, attic attack, they put some, they they try to throw some stuff around. But engine wise, I think this is top shelf. I, it, like, yeah, I'd like to have seen this used in a more actiony way. I also want to mention they do name the rooms, which I always like. Yeah, they do. I, 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 I yeah, I know you love that. Mm-hmm. But I mean, if I was a kid and I bought this game for eight pounds. And, and I can sit down and, and and be a kid and have hours to spend to try to explore this dungeon, I would be down. I mean, I, I, this is one of those games where, like, I try to put myself in the mindset of someone who I've just picked this up in 83 or whatever, 84, and I, it, it, this would be mind-blowing. You know, I mean, what were we playing in 84? Not, not things that were a whole lot more more advanced computer-wise, and this is a game, I don't, I'm not sure I could think of the like from this particular vantage we played like Dungeons of Dar- uh, uh, Drag Off Dagger and stuff, Daggerath stuff. But it's a that's that they, they they tried their best to get that first person thing mm-hmm. going. This is more logical because the first person was hard to pull off on these old machines. Mm-hmm. But this, they're pulling it off. Plus, you sort of get that feeling you did there, you know. So and stuff is, can still surprise this you. This is another great blending of the genres type game that the ZX Spectrum did so well. You know, with the Dizzy games or the Jack the Nipper stuff like that, where you've got action elements, but you've also got puzzle solving elements. Yeah, the puzzle solving elements aren't going to drive you insane. Like we're watching a servant spell take a mouse, take a take a mouse, pick him up, put him next to a mouse hole, so cheese comes out. You know, right, stuff like right. That. So, uh, but I mean, it's cool. It makes you feel good when you can solve simple puzzles. Right, and it's not a big inventory. There's no weird right. crap I like love that the to fact worry there's about. No inventory. Yeah, yep. nobody wants yeah. that. And yeah. I don't. And, and you're only controlling one guy. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot to like here. I mean, this game is worth a look just on the incredible graphics mm-hmm. that it has. Just for that alone, it's worth a look. Uh, and if you're into this sort of game, an exploration game like this, and you can get adjusted with the spell casting. You probably got something here you're really going to enjoy. Yeah. And another thing that's great about having him float around like that is he moves probably at a faster speed that you can get somebody to walk and make look natural. Yeah. And the speed that he moves is definitely, because how many of these games we've played where you just trudge from one scene to the next? Yeah. This guy zips around not uncontrollably, but he moves in pretty good clip. Yeah. You never feel like you're slowing I down. I felt like the controls were real good. Yeah. yeah. And the thing is, if the guys, and I know why they did the walking, but I mean, listen. 
the difference when this guy floating through here like a proper wizard and and him walking around like me in the sleep tunic staggering mm. around who would you, who would you rather right. play absolutely yeah. absolutely this game reviewed very well i can imagine in the magazines this was a crash smash 91% Sinclair user gave it a 9 out of 10. This was also nominated for a Golden Joystick Award oh, man. for the best adventure game of 1984. Just to be nominated, both. That's right. It's an honor. We got some Discord reviews. We stick things, we start things off with Jed Byrne. He says, ah, oh, Avalon. <laughs> does he say it that way? Yeah, Creepy like? <laughs> he says, it is 1984, and a game like Avalon is ambitious proudly declaring itself as the first in a new world of computer games, the adventure movie. Much is expected of the player, as you must read the manual, or the inlay, or as the inlay more eloquently puts it, to obtain maximum enjoyment, you are advised to read all the instructions carefully. It's yeah. worth the effort, because once you get the hang of it, there is something enchanting about this game. There's a dreamlike quality to the way the screen scrolls around the wizard Marok. In contrast, guards feel like a very physical threat. Yeah. Unlike other games of the time where opponents spawn randomly to be quickly blasted away, these guards persist following you from room to room. You just want to sit down and work out how to use your new spell, but they keep coming and you have no way of blasting them. You hope that this new spell will change that. Sadly, the enchantment fades after a while because there's only so much you can do with 48k. The levels all look the same and the gameplay becomes repetitive. Between the initial confusion and the eventual boredom, there are hours of immersion that feel unlike anything else I've played. I missed Avalon first time around, and I'm glad I had the opportunity to experience it now. Will Brooker writes, I've always seen Avalon as a friendly rival to Tirna Nog by Gargoyle Games. They came out around the same time, both attempting to create a fluid cinematic world grounded in British myth, and both were followed by sequels featuring the same character. And of the two, I connected with Tirna Nog. Avalon is always a game I've respected rather than loved. I completely see what Steve Turner was aiming for, and I acknowledge all of the craft behind it, from the cardboard sets he constructed to test the game concept to his adaptation of code, from the earlier Luna Crabs to his decision to make Marok float as an astral projection so he wouldn't have to animate the character's feet. <laughs> it's an incredible achievement. I just never found it playable. The action is too urgent, the controls too finicky, the spell selection too tricky, and the graphics too flickery. I prefer the clean and solid colors and the calm wandering of Tirnanog to this hectic cave exploration. One of those masterpiece landmarks that you admire without personally adoring, I feel roughly about Avalon as I do about Jimi Hendrix, and Steve Turner, a guitarist himself, would probably appreciate that comparison. There you go, Aaron. Man, doesn't like Jimi Hendrix? No, he says, uh, he says, uh, yeah, I guess he doesn't like Jimi Hendrix. Yeah, you're right. There's no way Turner's going to be down with that. I'm sorry. <laughs> I think it's a winner, but it's worth it. it. This is one of those ones. I mean, he mentioned it. It's not everyone's cup of tea, mm -hmm. but it's absolutely. You got to try it. I did look this up on eBay, Aaron. You can yeah. get this thing for eight pounds. The same price that it retailed for new. Look, it's held its value great after all these years. <laughs> That's right. That's right. All right, Aaron. What are we playing next week? Oh, oh man, Serafima. Serafima. Let me tell you something. Uh, the 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 Brent is double super excited to do this one. He's I think he's going to be stepping in for this one. Mm -hmm. He's he's built this thing like it's, I've not played it by the way. He's built this thing like it's, it's the mother of all Spectrum games. Mm -hmm. 
So I'm excited to try this one. Yeah. Because the bread's out of his mind. <laughs> so your mileage may vary. All right, guys. Thanks, as always, for listening. We will see you next time. And until then, rewind tape. And press play. Harris Sinclair is made possible by contributions from listeners like you. Patreon supporters help choose the games we play, receive exclusive magnets, and get access to the Amigos Retro Gaming Discord server. Visit patreon.com slash Sinclair if you'd like to support the show and join our community.